Well, thank you, Izzy, and good evening, everyone. A word of prayer. We thank and praise you, Heavenly Father, that we do have the scriptures in our mother tongue. We are sometimes bothered by those parts of the scriptures that we don't understand, but bothered too, perhaps more so, by some of those parts of the scriptures that we think we do understand. And perhaps the passage just read to us is no exception to that. That we think we know these words, we perhaps feel comforted by them, and we look a second time at them and we realise just how confrontational, just how demanding, just how challenging the words of Jesus are. And yet with such grace and such strength that we are given to walk the way that he has set before us and has gone before us. So grant us grace and strength by your spirit to follow the way of Jesus. Amen. So if you can make sure, please, that you have that passage open in front of you. There are plenty of Bibles scattered around the church. It's Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 33. And... uh, Page 971, if you need to reopen a Bible. What is the greatest challenge facing the Western church today? Is it Islam? Is it good old-fashioned Marxism? Is it secular humanism? Is it the New Age movement? No, the greatest challenge facing the the Western church today is materialism, or so suggests a distinguished Bible teacher called Craig Blomberg. Now, he's an American, so he gives us a few statistics from America, and I don't think that the equivalent statistics would be so very different in our own country. But just listen to this. Compared with what Americans spend on overseas Protestant ministries, they spend approximately one and a half times as much on chewing gum, twice as much on cut flowers, five times as much on their pets, seven times as much on sweets, 17 times as much on dieting, 20 times as much on sporting activities, 26 times as much on soft drinks, and 140 times as much on legalised gambling. And if we won't accept it from an American, then the late Michael Green, the distinguished uh, Christian leader and evangelist, who died just uh, a few weeks ago at the age of 88, I think, said this, there is something wrong in the West with our whole attitude to money and giving. And Jesus would appear to be saying the same to his hearers in his time in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus is saying here to them, his first disciples, and to us, Do you think too highly 
and worry too much about things and the money that buys things. In other words, what matters most to you? What takes up most of your energy? What do you daydream about? What are your hopes for the future? Where is your heart? Where are you storing up treasure? On earth or in heaven? We all know in our better moments, our more sensible moments, what money can and can't buy, don't we? Money will buy a bed, but not sleep. Money will buy books, but not brains. Money will buy food, but not appetite. Money will buy fine clothes, but not beauty. Money will buy medicine, but not health. Money will buy luxury, but not culture. Amusement, but not happiness. A crucifix, but not a crucified saviour. A temple, but not a heaven. Let me just pause for a moment and say, I know what you're thinking. (laughs) You're thinking, we're starting to go on about money and the perils of money. Well, what about all the starving millions? Are we going to tell them not to worry about where their food and their clothing is is going to come from? Or what about uh, even some of us? I'm a student, you say. Or perhaps you're saying, I'm a pensioner. I actually don't have very much money to spare at all. Is this addressed to me? Well, just think for a moment to whom this was addressed. This was not addressed to starving people. It was not ex- uh, addressed to those experiencing a, fam- uh, a famine. It was addressed, Jesus addressed this to his disciples pri- primarily. And he and they would be looked after, not in luxury, but satisfactorily, as they went around on their itinerant ministry, being served meals here and there in different uh, homes, and being wonderfully served by that half-forgotten band of women (laughs) who actually feature much more uh, prominently in the Gospels than we sometimes think. Not only as providers of Christ and the disciples, but also as witnesses to key events, including no less events than the crucifixion and the resurrection. However, I digress slightly. These words are not addressed to the starving. They are addressed to those who have and are likely to have enough. So therefore, they are addressed to most, if not all, of us. Look with me at the analysis that Jesus gives. He talks about the problem and its solution. He gives a diagnosis and also offers to us a prescription. First of all, the problem, the diagnosis. What does Jesus say about worrying too much about material things, money and the things that money can say? Well, first up, Jesus says that worrying too much about things is distracting. Do you see in verse 25, he asks, is not life more important than food 
and the body more important uh, than, than clothes? He's saying these things distract us from the real issues of life. I guess that many of us have a sneaking sympathy for a woman named Martha in the Gospels. Remember, two sisters, Mary and Martha. And I hear quite a few people, perhaps especially um, busy or harassed women, saying, well, actually, I rather sympathize with Martha, and, and I understand that. But you know the story. Um, Martha was busy in the kitchen preparing the meal, whereas Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet listening to his teaching. Now, Jesus uh, doesn't condemn Martha. He speaks, in fact, very gently to her. And he says, Martha, you're just missing one thing. (laughs) He's not saying you've got it all wrong. You're missing one thing. You're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You see, the problem was not the fact that Martha was preparing food, but that she was distracted by it. There was food, and there was Jesus. (laughs) which at that moment of time was most important for her and her life and her soul. Life today has a very high distraction index, does it not? What can you do, what can I do, what can we do to make sure that things and the pursuit of things does not get in the way, do not get in the way of our walk with Jesus and our work for his kingdom? It's a major challenge today, far more of a challenge than it was in the simpler times of the New Testament. But things just get in the way. They distract us. But the second thing that our Lord says about worrying over much about material things, not only distracting, but also destructive. Well, futile at the very least. Do you see verse 27? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Well, not quite sure about the translation. It could be who, by worrying, can add an inch to his height. Either way, worrying isn't going to help you. It's certainly not going to add a single hour to your life. Worrying over much is likely to subtract from your life rather than add to it. But actually, elsewhere, Jesus says that worrying over much is not only futile, it is actually destructive. Remember he told a story about a sower who sowed his seed on various kinds of soil. And one of the types of soil was a soil that uh, was full of thorns. And the word of God is faithfully sown in the thorny ground. And Jesus says, the thorns come up and they choke the seed so it can't prosper and grow. And Jesus says, that's like the worries of this life and the deceitful of wealth choking the seed of God's word. No wonder Jesus says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. You cannot, he doesn't say you ought not, he said you cannot serve both God and money. We will serve one or the other. Worrying over much about material things is distracting, it's destructive, but also, says Jesus, it's distrustful. O you of little faith, says Jesus to his over-anxious hearers in verse 30. 
And he points to the sky and to the birds of the air. And he says, God feeds, feeds them without them having to worry about it. And he points to the flowers of the field, the beautiful flowers. And he says, God bedecks them with colour. And they're more beautiful than even Solomon in all his glory. Now, thinking of the birds and the flowers um, not needing to worry about life. Now, is this an excuse for idleness? Should we not make any plans, any provision, either for ourselves or our families, our dependents? No. It's not about not planning or not making provision. It's about not worrying over much. Certainly not an excuse for idleness. It has been said that God gives every bird its food, but he doesn't throw it into the nest. Here's a little ditty, but I'm not going to sing it to you. Don't worry. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Over-anxiety about material things is practical atheism. It argues that the God we say we believe in, we actually don't really believe in him. It argues a lack of trust in a caring and benevolent Heavenly Father. Let's make up our minds today that we will trust God in deed as well as in word. We'll trust him with our purses as well as with our pra- in our praises. So that's something about the problem uh, that Jesus identifies um, in at least potentially, in his followers. Now, what does Jesus say about the solution? Well, two things, I think, from this passage. What is the answer to overmuch worry about material things? Well, firstly, we need to see God's providence around us. We need to see God's providence around us. That's particularly in verse 26 to 30. Now, I I realise the word providence is a rather religious word. And so if you like, I'm perfectly happy if you'd like to um, pronounce it differently. Instead of calling it God's providence, call it God's providence. Might make a bit more sense. It says that God does and will provide all the things that in his wise judgment his people really need. Oh, I've got another little ditty. I like this one. Oh, where is the sea, the fishers cry, as they swam the Atlantic waters through. We've heard of the sea and the ocean tide, and we long to gaze on its waters blue. The fish are surrounded by the water, and yet they don't realise it. We ourselves live and move and have our being in an ocean of divine providence. And yet so often we can't see the ocean for the water. With our scientific education, we focus sometimes too much on secondary causes. Rain is caused by condensation of vapour. 
crops grow because of the effects of fertiliser. But think of it for a moment. This world could not exist for a single moment without the constant providence of God. Yet we have been taught to think in ways that leave no room for God. We've lost sight of the great provider. The ancient Hebrews saw this very clearly. This is part of the genius of the Old Testament, I think. When God's people in those days saw in every event the direct activity of God. If it rained, it was God who sent the rain. When the crops were good, it was God who yielded the increase. And Jesus says, look at the birds. You're far more valuable than them. Look at the flowers. You were made for eternity. If God feeds the birds and clothes the flowers, will he not much more give you what he knows you really need? Let's learn to see God's providence, God's providence around us. And secondly, let's determine to set God's priorities before us. Let's set God's priorities before us. Jesus talks in verses 19 to 22 about treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. And the one is vastly more important and vastly more lasting than the other. So which is more important to us? Treasure on earth or treasure in heaven? In the 1950s, there was a missionary whom some of you may have heard of called Jim Elliott. And with others, he went with the gospel to uh, the country of Ecuador in South America. And he was martyred. He was killed uh, by those he sought to serve. And he died at the age of 28. By the way, his wife, Elizabeth Elliott, survived much longer than that. She died just a few years ago, having spent the rest of her life as a Christian a teacher and great encourager, especially of Christian women. But again, I, I digress. Jim Elliott, who died a Christian ministry at the age of 28, said this. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep, treasures on earth, in order to gain that which he cannot lose, treasures in heaven. In verse 25, Jesus asks, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? See, the question of priorities coming through again. Now, we do not deny, do we, the value of material things. We're not set on becoming ascetics, living as miserably and as meanly as we possibly can. No, that's not the Bible way. God's word teaches that God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And that's a great thing to know. And still less do we use this teaching as an excuse for neglecting those who do lack the basic necessities of life. Supposing, asks James in chapter 2 of his epistle, supposing you see a brother or sister who lacks food and clothing and you wish him well but do nothing about his physical needs, what's the good of that? He asks. No, we don't deny 
that either. But we do seek to take on board the serious demand and command and invitation of Jesus when he says in verse 33, seek first God's kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So let's determine then by God's grace to loosen our grip on material possessions. Possess them if you must, but don't let them possess you. Here's an example of that. It comes from a a famous Bible commentator by the name of Matthew Henry, who one day was robbed. And he wrote this in his diary, having been robbed. Let me be thankful. First, because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my wallet, they did not take my wife. That's my wife all my life. (laughs) They didn't take either. Third, let me be thankful, because although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, let me be thankful, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. That's a man, I think, who has a loose grip on the things, on the treasures of earth. Holding, surely holding our possessions less tightly releases us to be more generous to others and to the work of the gospel. Last Sunday, as Richard reminded us, was Commitment Sunday, and on the 7th of April, we'll have an opportunity to present um, uh, a note of our, of our commitment um, in the context of our, of our worship services. Now, how would it be if we prayerfully consider our commitment, not only of money, of course, but including that of money, in the light of Jesus' instruction and command and encouragement to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, not to cling too tightly to the things of this world, And if we even began to see our money and our possessions, not as things that we own and give some back to God, but actually belong to God, and we then have to decide how much we keep back for ourselves. Therefore, says Jesus in verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In one of his books, the pastor and writer Max Lucado has a section entitled What Ifs and Howls. What Ifs and Howls. And he notes that we tend to ask questions like, what if I can't finish my degree? What if I lose my job? How will we ever pay for everything we need for our new baby? How will we cope when our children leave home. From verse 34, Lucado comments, God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Let's acknowledge afresh that money and the things that money can buy are at best means to a greater end, to life that's full and satisfying to a kingdom that will last forever, to a character that may have much or little in terms of material things, but although poor in spirit 
although mourning over ungodliness, although hungering and thirsting for righteousness, is pronounced blessed, blessed, and blessed again by Jesus himself. Jesus who, though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. Thanks be to God. Let's have a word of prayer and then Rebecca is going to continue leading our prayers. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the high calling that you have given to us. It's a serious business and it leads to abundant joy and abundant life. May we commit ourselves afresh to treasuring the things of heaven above the things of earth and seeking your kingdom and your righteousness. For Jesus' sake, amen.